Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and this is the first of four bonus episodes focusing on the Showtime docuseries The Kings. These are not like our usual pods. These are quick hit mini pods. So we're going to ditch the usual rambling opening podcast banter. Let's get right to it. Yeah, and, and hopefully you've already watched episode one of The Kings, as there will be spoilers on this podcast, although there's only so much we can spoil about a documentary covering real-life past fights that any serious <laughs> fan's already familiar with. Uh, anyway, we will focus here on the first episode of the series, which is available online and on demand for Showtime subscribers. Uh, and by the way, if you missed it, check out our interview with director Matt Whitecross on the last episode of the podcast. He was fantastic and gave all sorts of behind-the-scenes insights. Yeah, thanks again to Matt for joining us. He's every bit as good a podcast guest as he is a director. Uh, Really, a really enjoyable conversation. And later in this pod, we will be joined by journalist Tony Page, who's one of the voices who's heard uh, throughout the documentary series. But first, Eric and I will share our thoughts on this particular episode. And Eric, start us off with a quick recap. All right, so this opening episode, titled Ghetto to Glory to Gold, takes us from the Ali era winding down in the 70s through the first of the nine fights between the four kings, Leonard Duran won in 1980. Sugar Ray Leonard is the central character as we see him go from the 76 Olympics to capturing the welterweight title. The documentary spins off Leonard to introduce us to Marvin Hagler via them challenging for their first titles on the same card to Tommy Hearns through a 1977 amateur fight of his that Leonard provided commentary on, and to Roberto Duran through him becoming a Leonard opponent. Along the way, much is juxtaposed against the transition from President Jimmy Carter to Ronald Reagan, and the episode finishes with an essay of sorts on the deep appeal and the disturbing violence of the sport of boxing. Uh, So there's the recap, and now Kieran and I will each pick three notable moments or observations from the episode to quickly discuss uh so you go first Kieran. so there's a great teddy atlas bite uh very early on in the opening episode there actually there are plenty of teddy atlas bites throughout the series uh i like this one which i think really sets up the premise uh of, of all four episodes and uh boxing is a metaphor for life he says everyone is fighting for something and and while that boxing is life analogy i think can be overplayed sometimes do you think it's particularly apposite here especially given how he then continues by saying There was a time at the end of the 1970s when you knew at some point you were seeing history. And that could equally apply. I don't know what he's referring to specifically, but it could just as easily apply to the Four Kings as to what was going on in the rest of the world at that time. Yeah, you know, there's there's a real gravity to almost everything Teddy says in this series. Um, And I tell you, it kind of makes me resent that much more the clown show direction his bits with Stephen A. Smith dragged him in, Um, you know, seeing this, being reminded what Teddy can do at his best. There's a time and place for it, of course. You know, Teddy's meandering soliloquies can sometimes feel like he's lecturing in certain settings. But in this documentary, edited down to the best sound bites, chef's kiss. He he is amazing. Um, And the thing is, boxing is a metaphor for life more than any other sport, at least. You know, when someone tries to do tennis or basketball or whatever as a metaphor for life, they're often reaching. Um, With boxing, yeah, it's maybe it's a little overdone, but that's often because it's true (laughs) that it is. Um, And and just the the other thing you were asking about the, you know, the seeing history and, uh, and all that. 
you can look back on almost any moment of change from one decade to another or one president to another and and label it as a historical moment. You know, in, in the rear view, almost everything feels yeah. like some sort of tipping point, And they certainly focused on on one of those here. Yeah. All right. So here's my first observation. Um, I loved seeing video and stills of Marvin Hagler with a full head of hair. Uh, I, I'd seen a couple of still photos before this, uh, but that was it. This, it was actual moving pictures, and it is a full head of hair. He doesn't look like he's balding. I'm, I'm dying to know for how long he could have had a decent yeah. head of hair if he hadn't chosen to shave it, you know? Like, Michael Jordan started shaving his head because bald spots were developing. For all I know, Hagler still had a full head of hair when his career ended. These are the things I need to know about. Um, but also, uh, with, with that full head of hair, there was video of him reciting rhyming poetry, yep. trying to sell one of his early fights. He was doing a, a so-so Ali impression, and uh, I think we know that wasn't who he was, and, uh, and he, yeah. he gave up that gimmick. But uh, but yeah, just seeing Marvin with that hair was one of the things that really jumped out at me in the doc. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I can't remember if I said this when we were talking to Matt or, or, or if the three of us just talked about it after we'd finished recording. But I really, after seeing the series, I found myself just pining for for Manny Stewart and also for Marvin Hagler. Like, I, yeah. it's just really, really made me sad that Marvin is no longer with us. And I, it was quite something to see. And, and I know that obviously, you know, like selections of interviews over the years can sort of not necessarily give the full picture, but to see him. Like in those younger years where, like you said, not only was he trying out that rhyming Ali persona, and I'm sure in the late 70s, that was what everybody figured they had to do, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but there was also not only the hair, there was like a, a glint in his eyes, um, like a sort of joyful optimism, I thought, in some of those early uh, clips that just got just burned out of him by the boxing business um, by, by the end. But to see uh, that optimistic, I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be a champion, Marvin Hagler, uh, before you know, we know, and as the series talks about, uh, all the battles that he, had, that he had to go through to get his just rewards, uh, I thought was really, was really kind of cool and sad and a, a little, little melancholy to watch, actually. Yeah, definitely. Um, and meanwhile, when we talk about early footage of guys, what about footage of Sugar Ray Leonard as an amateur in 1974 without headgear? Um, I, I don't think I'd appreciate it until rewatching this. That headgear was not introduced by the AIBA or made compulsory till 80, the 84 Olympics. So it was a bit funny for me to see that. Um, but not only that, seeing that amateur boxing tournament not only being broadcast, but the color commentator was Muhammad freaking Ali. It's <laughs> yeah. like not only is amateur boxing on TV, but the greatest is there. And I thought it was quite moving and quite profound, actually, to see from what we could tell. He was just learning about Ray Leonard while yeah. doing commentary of him and, and asking and asking the, the, the blow by blow guy about him as I was doing. It. And I thought that was quite an amazing moment, actually, to have the, the greatest of all time and clearly the boxer of the 60s and 70s watching for the first time the guy who, in a sense, would, would, would you know, take take the baton from him and, and become the face of boxing in the 80s. Yeah, they dug up some incredible footage that, uh, you know, maybe there were are people who were alive back then uh, who, who remember this stuff and or or had come across it somewhere recently. There's a lot of stuff in here that I had never seen. And that's mm -hmm. that's one of them. And that's cool how 
Ali provided commentary on a Leonard amateur fight. And then later we saw Leonard doing commentary on a Hearns amateur fight. Um, Then you also have Angelo Dundee making for a nice piece of connective tissue between Ali and Leonard. Um, It was very cool to see film, not just video, but, but film of the 76 Olympics. Um, And and I'll just throw in um, Steve Farhood noting Ali was the only American born champion in all of boxing at one point in 76. I didn't know that. And and I wouldn't have guessed that, you know, there's an assumption, isn't there that, you know, up until about 20 or 25 years ago, the U S was the dominant pro boxing country at all times. Um, But I guess that was a a strange lull as, as one generation of American fighters gave way to the next. Yeah. Uh, All right. The next thing uh, I want to highlight, well, I don't want to, but I will. Uh, And uh, there's no way to address this without uh, my partisan politics showing through uh, my preference for decent leaders over would be authoritarians. Uh, But one thing that really stood out was watching a clip of Ronald Reagan saying the words, make America great again. Uh, It was traumatizing. Um, And um, spoiler, uh, it's not the last time in the series we hear him say it. I had read about that, I believe, back in 2016. I I knew he'd said it, and it wasn't an original Trump line, but to see it and hear it, given its current appropriation and what it's come to mean, it was heavy and it was kind of chilling. So, uh, you know, not not all of my observations will be highlighting the positive, I guess. That's one notable moment in the doc that I, I can't say I enjoyed. Conversely, I was blown away by this footage of uh, Jimmy Carter's address to the nation where he basically tells everyone to stop being so damn selfish. <laughs> yep. And and I know that the Carter presidency is is not well regarded um, by many folks. And you know, the documentary itself talks about the fact that it wasn't necessarily a particularly successful presidency. But honestly, I'm going to go right ahead and show my colors as if people didn't know what they were right along already right alongside you here. The more I learn of the Carter presidency, the more of a fan of it I am. Um, <laughs> uh, imagine having a president who would actually use an Oval Office address to say, and I'm quoting here, too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption. Mm. Human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but what one owns. And I'm sitting there going, preach. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, the words not only fell on deaf ears then, they just, I mean, imagine tweeting that out in 2021 <laughs> and and what would happen then. Oh, if ever we needed you, Jimmy Carter, it's now, but alas. Yeah, it's it's no way to get reelected, uh, but I, no. I, think, I, I think people do look back and at least generally agree Jimmy Carter... M- whether he was a great president or not, he was a he was a good man, which is uh, which yes. is, is, is is nice to have when possible in the Oval Office. Exactly, um, and, and sort of you know while we're on the, the, this issue of the whole the way that the docu series looks at the world much beyond the ring and, and these four guys, I, I thought. I knew most of the basics about what there was to know about all the fights covered in the series. But I have to confess, I hadn't fully appreciated some of the context of that first Duran-Leonard meeting. Um, I knew that Duran had obviously goaded Leonard into fighting the wrong fight, but I wasn't aware that he'd gone so far, for example, as to have a member of his entourage specifically follow and wind up his wife, knowing fully that his wife would then report back to Ray and that that would get him wound up. I had no idea he was that brilliant. nor had I appreciated that the fight, you know, happened in, in the shadow of, uh, of conflict, if you will, o- over the fate of the Panama Canal zone. And, mm-hmm. and again, to go back, you know, to, to, to that Reagan Carter thing, to see, you know, Reagan f- 
basically frothing at the mouth over handing the Panama Canal Zone back to Panamanians. And nowadays, you, most Americans today would be like, what? That, that's an issue? Like, that was a problem? Um, but it was so interesting to me that, you know, in a sense, it was one huge disadvantage that Leonard had going into that fight. He was fighting for himself, for his victory, for, for glory, for money. Duran was fighting for his people. Hmm. And it was so interesting to wrap up the first episode. Um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't the very end, but almost wrap it up anyway, with the guy who was introduced toward the end of the episode as seemingly the villain prevailing yeah. against the main character, the protagonist, the hero. Um, not, not that we're being told to love Leonard, but this episode certainly feels like his story. And this Duran jerk gets the glory at the, at the end of the first episode. Um, one other observation I had about Duran Leonard one that ring announcer had no idea how to read a decision for maximum oh suspense. God, <laughs> Plus he's switching languages between cards. Piss yeah. poor job. Fire that guy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. The sixth and final observation this week, uh, and it follows right on the heels of your last one. Uh, the very ending of the episode, our unofficial narrator, Teddy Atlas gives the filmmakers a perfect line for a cliffhanger. He says, all the things that made Duran great were gone after that night. Great cliffhanger. Uh, if you don't know his story, you wonder, wow, what, what went wrong for Duran? I have to tune in to find out why he fell apart after beating Leonard. The problem is, yeah, it's a great cliffhanger, but is it accurate? All the things that made him great were gone. It seems to me like a pretty big exaggeration, given some of the things Duran went on to achieve against some non-Four Kings opponents. Um, now, you know, Teddy gives you a great line like that, you use it. I'm not questioning the filmmaking, but, you know, if we're going to compliment Teddy nonstop for the next four weeks, and we pretty much are, <laughs> uh, let's also acknowledge he might have been overdoing it there, might have been talking out of his ass a little bit on that one. It is safe to say, though, isn't it, that that was the apogee of, of Duran's career, that that was, he never again quite had the reputation that he had at the very end of that fight did right. he in in that right there he was the all-conquering hero he'd already been a great champion during the 70s he was you know arguably the best fighter in the world and then he'd he'd, he'd gone into the lion's den and and he messed up this pretty boy and thereafter with what came along you know in the immediate aftermath it always felt like you said he achieved great things against non-four kings but it always felt for a long period afterwards because he fought for a long time after that yes. um as if he was fighting the battle against age and decline and lack of focus and eating it sort of became this lengthy period the rest of his career of Decline and stasis punctuated by these occasional moments of age-defying brilliance and brutality. Right. Right. But I think it is fair to say that he was arguably never again perceived, at least, as the irresistible fighting force that he was on that day. And, and certainly his, his reputation plummeted just a few months afterwards. But, um, but that's a story for episode two. Yes. So let's leave it there and turn to our guest, shall we? Yeah. And joining us now to discuss the opening episode of The Kings and the ground covered by the series as a whole is one of the voices featured prominently in the documentary. He's former president of the Boxing Writers Association of America and until his retirement in 2019 was a longstanding overnight host on WFAN The Fan in New York City. Tony Page, 
thank you for joining us and welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining us. Really uh, excited to talk to you about this, Tony. And um, one thing that makes you uh, particularly, your perspective particularly interesting here is that you're from the same generation as these four fighters, uh, a couple of years younger than Duran, a couple of years older than Leonard. Um, so you were in your teens during Ali's prime and in your mid-20s when the Four Kings era began. What can you recall of that period after the Thrilla in Manila when Ali was starting to decline? How desperate was the sport of boxing for someone like Sugar Ray Leonard to come along? Oh, he, it was perfect timing because we knew Ali was over. I mean, even you know, after we fought um, Holmes, we knew it was over, even though he went on to fight uh, Trevor Burbick. You start looking for guys, but the, the thing that made it so, so interesting is when these guys came out of the Olympics, and Ray especially in 76, Broadcast television was a major player back then, and they were fighting over to get their contracts. So people actually got to see these guys for free, and which is different than from today, because back then you say, I like this guy. I think when they have a closed circuit fight, I'll go watch him and see what, you know, what's it's all about, how good he really is. And it was nice that, you know, Duran was a little bit earlier because he was the, the, the 60s, but he went into the 70s and here comes Leonard and here comes Hearns and Hagler was kind of like behind the curtain. Nobody wanted to deal with him. And, <laughs> and, and they all kind of, you know, came together at the right time. You know, if, if, if only one of them was there, his legacy wouldn't have been that great because the one thing these guys did, which present day fighters don't do, is they fight each other and they're not afraid to, to get a loss because most of these guys will, lose, will, will, will learn something from their loss. But these guys, they lose today. And it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I've, I've lost them. It's not a single elimination, guys. You keep learning <laughs> and you move on. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of interesting that people do point to that a lot of how, how these guys all fought each other. And sometimes we get the big fights nowadays. Some, sometimes we don't. But just coming off that, that Ali thing, that was key to the first half of the 70s, too. Golden Age of heavyweights, you had... Ali, Frazier, Norton, Foreman, basically all fighting each other. Uh, mm. the, these guys really, as you said, came along at, at the right time, just as it seems, I guess there's bridging the gap between Ali and Tyson, no offense to Larry Holmes, but uh, you, you think that the fact that there wasn't a mega popular heavyweight in that first half of the 80s really, really helped these guys uh, to, to rise and be that much more important? It, you know, it's funny. I made a note because I wanted to write this down. The funny thing about the 70s, you had these great heavyweight champions, but you had these damn good fighters who didn't become champion, mm -hmm. like Ernie Chavis, Jerry Quarry, Ron Lyle, Oscar Bonavina, Jimmy Young, Mac Forster. And the champs usually fought these guys. There were only two organizations back then, really. And you got to see talent. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when, when Ali left, everyone was starved. Like, well, what are we going to do next? Because everyone wanted to stay in the heavyweights, but the pickings were slim. And like you said, Holmes was, he was no Ali. But Leonard, all these guys, no one could be Ali. So you kind of paid more attention that these guys could actually fight. You know, <laughs> right. you know, Duran had a snarl, which Ali didn't have a snarl. Duran had a snarl. So did Hagler. And, you know, Hearn's snarl, snarl was his punch. And, and, and Leonard, his, he just smiled you to death. You know, <laughs> they were all, I mean, it was, they all kind of, people would say, like, look at Duran. Yeah, but this guy Leonard. Yeah, but this guy Hearns. It was, there was a debate. It's just a wonder if they'd ever get together. And, and luckily they did. Yeah. 
Yeah, in this first episode, uh, you connect the dots uh, between Ray's ability to, you know, to speak uh, publicly and Ronald Reagan's, you know, and the whole yeah. documentary series is trying to draw these, these sort of parallels between boxing and, and the rest of the world. And we all know, as you just said, Ray Leonard could seriously fight. But how much of his appeal in those early days was that personality? Like you said, the fact that he could smile, the fact that he could talk, whereas these other guys were maybe at least initially appeared to be a little bit more sullen. It's funny, Ali set the bar so high because there was showmanship and, and silliness and he would, you know, had that nastiness. He did a little bit of everything. And Ray comes along and I, I think most people's percep perception of boxers is they're dumb. They don't know anything and all they can do is beat each other up. And then you have Ray Leonard, you know, shows up in a suit and a tie and, and talks and, and, and you can understand him. And, and then you, you realize you could understand Duran when he's, you know, when he had a translator and they all were like, these guys are kind of bright. You know, they're not, yeah. they're not. They're not dullards. They, 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 can, they can hold a conversation. Now, some may have a better vocabulary, a depth of vocabulary than others, but they could get their point across. And I think, I thought what I liked about the documentary was how it, it, it just isn't boxing. It's the era from that time. You know, a lot of, mm. uh, I guess, what's the term? Gen Xers, they don't know about that time. So this is a good education for them. Mm. You know, they, I mean, I, the thing that blew me away was one of the, I think it might have been the first episode when when Reagan said we got to make America great again. I'm like, wait a minute, we ever heard this before? <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, a lot of a lot of a lot of younger guys are going to like, wait a minute, that that he said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and talking about Reagan, there's there's sort of in that first episode, there's at least a little bit of an implication that in a way. Ray was sort of a cipher for that Ronald Reagan morning in America kind of mood. Whereas you think it's also, it, that's fair. And is it also fair to say that, you know, to, to use the, one of the quotes that you use, Marvin Hagler was a little bit more of that Jimmy Carter, take your castor oil, you know, life yeah. can be hard kind of a thing. You think that's fair, those parallels? I, I, I think so. I mean, it's when you see Ray with Reagan, whether you like Reagan or not, it's like, oh, shoot, a champion with mm. The president, you don't see that. I mean, you see Ali uh, in the past, but you don't really see that that often. And I, I think Reagan tried to portray the country as, you know, as positive and look, you know, everything's going to be fine. And here comes Ray with his smile. And, and I think when you see him in situations that other boxers aren't on, you see him on The Tonight Show, you see him with Reagan, you see him doing certain things, you, you draw in that non-boxing fan that says, hey, he's got a nice smile. I want, you know... You know, he has a good jab. Really? I don't know, but he has a nice smile. I, I want to watch him. And that, that's another, that's more eyes on the screen or butts in the chairs, as he used to say. Mm. Let me get your, uh, your, your reflections on uh, Hagler in, in the time period focused on specifically uh, in this first episode in the late 70s when he was just uh, hoping to become middleweight champion. What, what was the buzz like surrounding him in, in that period? Did, did you and others believe that that he could be great and was just being denied his opportunity or, or is there some revisionist history there and and really at the time nobody really knew how good he was until after he won the title i think what, what, what impressed me about him is when he went into philadelphia and kicked the butt of all the top tough mm -hmm. philadelphia middleweights I mean, people forget that was a that it was a hotbed of middleweight talent you know, kitchen haywood you know, Benny Briscoe, Cyclone Hart. I mean, all these guys. And he, and he goes into their backyard to fight them. Mm. And I, I think that probably slowed down his development. Like, wait a minute, he's beating these tough guys and you want me to put my guy in with him? <laughs> That's why, you know, it's, I think as, as he said, I'm, I'm, I got a bad combination. I'm, I'm, I'm black, I'm Southpaw, and I'm very good. good, good. Right. And, and, and he was. And 
he's not the guy that you would put a prospect that wasn't ready and he's going to, he's going to go through. And I think he was just, you saw this ball headed guy that just beat the crap out of people. And when someone, you know, held him to a drawer or something, he came back and, and blew him away. And, and I think uh, that doesn't attract as many people as a Ray Leonard would, because they'll go, Oh my God, he's, he's beating the crap out of him. I don't want to see that. Even though in the, in the back of your mind, you might say, Hey, that, that, that was kind of fun watching it. Like the lions and the Christians back in the day, but you know, Leonard would smile at you and wipe the sweat off his brow after he knocked somebody out. And Hagler, you kind of like want to stay, stay away from him. And I find a quick story about Hagler. I interviewed him after he's retired in the hall of fame up in, up in Canastota. And uh, I was doing some interviews for international TV. So I asked him, you know, can I do an interview? He said, sure, sure. Let me just finish this one and I'll, I'll do you next. So while I'm waiting, this local uh, TV guy from, from Syracuse just bogarted the lines. I got to talk to Hagler. I said, yeah, well, we all do. So when he was done, <laughs> he just ran up to Marvin and said, I want to talk to you. I got an interview. And he said, no, no, this guy's next, pointing to me. He said, no, I got to go now. And his, his eyes got real. Here he went from this really nice, pleasant guy. His eyes got real small, like he was looking at Thomas Hearns. <laughs> and he just said, I'm interviewing him next. And then you can wait or you can go home. And the guy just backed off and got to the end of the line. And then Marvin says, how you doing, brother? <laughs> doing fine. <laughs> that, that's great. I mean, if, if anyone knows about waiting, waiting your turn in line and uh, be, you know, yes. getting, getting your chance uh, after, after, yeah, that's, that's great that he would have that attitude. He was so good. You know, you, you, you look at the flash and, of, of Ray Leonard and, and the snarl of Duran and the power of Hearns. But here's this guy, you know, talk about going into the trenches. You know, he could have picked his spots and picked you know middleweights around the world, but he went into Philly and then stayed in Philly. Yeah. Well, that's that's the impressive thing with him. Yeah. Similar question really about Tommy Hearns. In this first episode, we see, you know, him as an amateur and then starting out his career. And it sort of suggests that early on there was maybe some talk about fighting Ray Leonard and, and Ray wanting to wait. Um what was the sense about Tommy coming up? And and also to, to this, I also wonder if at that stage was there any sort of awareness of the cronk or was it Tommy and the cronk that kind of like made each other publicly? I think when, when Thomas finally started making a name for himself, that's when, you know, like, where are you from again? What's the mm. hell? What's the cronk? You know, and, mm. and that's how it started. Um, I remember the early Thomas Hearns was an outstanding boxer, but that doesn't really attract a lot of people. You know, you win a nice, an amateur decision or you win a 10 round fight on up on your toes. Oh, okay. He's trying to be alley or something like that. And, but then when the power came, you know, that transcends everything. Yeah. I, I wrote an article and I said, if Thanos was a boxer, he'd be Hearns because he knocked <laughs> you into tomorrow. Because Duran can tell you about that. But he just, yes. <laughs> once the power was evident, uh, you know, he, he was, you know, with, with Ray Leonard, you could run to the kitchen real quick and get a beer if you were watching mm -hmm. it at home or something. Or um, you might tie in a closed circuit situation, you might between rounds try and run and get something real quick. But Hearns, you're not going anywhere because, right. you know, the, the power comes at any moment. And then then you, you find out about Kronk and, and Manny Stewart and all the other champions that are, that are coming out of that, that place. And it's a it's a it's a breeding ground of champions. And then the, there's the guy that you mentioned who got knocked into tomorrow by uh, by Tommy Hearns, uh, Roberto Duran. He was by far the most established of these guys once their rivalry with each other began because he had been the lightweight champ throughout the 70s. Would you say he's at all underrated these days because the fights he's best remembered for all took place after his prime that don't, people don't really think of the lightweight Duran when they think of Duran? To, to me, as he, he was a god as a lightweight. From the mm -hmm. time he beat Buchanan to the time he beat Ray Leonard, I don't think there was a better fighter, maybe history. Because the mm -hmm. only guy that, that, 
have put a blemish on his record with Esteban de Jesus, and lost a 10 round non title fight. They knocked him out the next two times they, they fight. He was just unbelievably uh, nasty. Uh, Tyson before Tyson. Mm. He just, he just, and, and you try and think of guys uh, who don't give it their all. I don't remember him being, being uh, out of shape or, or, or weak in the, in that era. But if he had retired after Leonard, he'd mm. go down as one of the greatest fighters of all time, not just a lightweight, but then it's such peaks and valleys after that, you know, losing the no Moss fight, beating uh, Davey Moore, uh, losing to guys that he should have never lost to, then beating Iran Barkley, almost beating uh, uh, Marvin Hagler, getting, you know, Tim Bird against uh, Thomas Hearns. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, he was, my, my brother and I went to see him fight uh, close circuit at City College in New York when he fought Ray Leonard. And it was packed. It just the gym was, it was downstairs in the gymnasium, it was packed. And we're trying to find two seats. And we found two seats together and we sat down and it got real quiet all around us. I said, did we take somebody's seat? And I, said, no, I don't think so. Nobody was sitting there. So guy sitting in front of me with a Spanish accent, he said, are you for Leonard? And my brother and I said, no, we're for Duran. And it, this whole set, section went, Viva Duran, Viva Duran. <laughs> they started passing us beer and wine and stuff because I, I knew Ray wasn't going to be prepared what happened. So the young black kid, he turned to me and said, you're a traitor. I said, no, I'm not. He said, <laughs> he said you, Leonard has no idea what he's in for. And because of that, I never paid attention to the second fight. I said, there's no way he's going to beat him. But little did I know later that, you know, he was 40 pounds overweight and he spent all the training trying to lose weight. But, and that's when the legend of Duran took a big hit, but then no, I mean, the, the nastiest guy on the planet before Tyson. And he, you know, I was listening to it on radio. There was an AP uh, station. It would just give you a recap. And the guy said, well, um, Oh, this is strange. Uh, uh, Duran quit. Duran quit and I was like this is, a, this is an April Fool's joke and then you find out what happened I'm like that that's that's what ruined his reputation like when you yeah. in the documentary when he said he couldn't really go home because the people were just so annoyed at him you know you're supposed to get knocked out not just walk away yeah right right as far as these these episodes of the Kings it's kind of like uh, I mean there are great moments ahead for Duran after episode one but if it just right. if it all ended at, at the end of episode one I mean he's uh, he comes off the the win over Sugar Ray Leonard uh, to, to coming up in wait to do it to, to end that episode that's just like a perfect showcase of, of Duran as the unbeatable fighter basically yeah I mean it's I remember he fought uh, Ray Lampton fighter out of uh, Washington State. And he knocked him out and, and they were interviewing him. He said, I'd like to apologize to my fans because uh, I had a cold. I know he's going to the hospital, but if I didn't have the cold, he'd go to the morgue. Wow. Like, you know, wow. who says that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> didn't do that today, but that was, and he just shrugged his shoulders. You know, I apologize for not being the best. <laughs> wow. One more question. And I'm just going to put this ball on a tee for you. Um, favorite fight from all the four Kings era. Do you have one? Oh, it, w- it would have to be uh, Hagler Hearns because I, I saw that one uh, in Madison Square Garden on closed circuit. Mm. So when my, my best buddy and I, we went. And I'm glad I wasn't broadcasting that fight because I had no voice after one round. <laughs> I've never heard such screaming and yelling from, what is it, 18,000 fans in the garden because, and I, I remember going back and looking at the, the, the replays of some of the broadcasts from International and 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 even the the... the circuit broadcast i don't think they knew what was going on they were trying to set the tone as a broadcaster like these are two great fighters and like oh my god they're trying to kill each other <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's let's get into this fight and it just 
I, I it was like a 15 round fight condensed to three rounds. And I remember when the first round ended in the garden, it was like this, this great exhale. We have never seen anything like this. Usually somebody gets knocked out when you, when you go to that, that level. Yeah. And it was just unbelievable. And, and uh, I never forget that. I mean, Leonard Duran, I, the first one, I expected that. Uh, uh, we knew Hearns and Hagler was going to be something. We, I thought Hearns would beat Leonard and, and uh, you know, Leonard is, is slugging at first and Tommy's boxing at first. And there were good storylines in, in those fights. But that, that first, that, that Hagler-Hearns, I mean, I think any young person who wants to get into boxing, that's the one-on-one class you take. You know, it's yeah. not, not Ali. It's not uh, Mike Tyson. Go watch this one and see if you can, can get through it without sweating. Yeah, right. Eric will correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that Nigel Collins of the ring, who was ringside, said something like at the end of that first round, he looked around and suddenly he realized he was standing on his chair somehow. And he had no idea how that had happened. <laughs> yep, yep. That's his that's his story from that. And he still says it's the, you know, the most incredible round he's ever witnessed. And I think whether you were there or not, people view it as the most incredible round they've ever seen. So I had my son. Uh, he's 22. I had him sit down and watch this fight. And he's, he's not a big boxing fan. And he was like. That's the first round? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Hey, listen, Tony, thank you so very much for joining us. Thanks for your insight. And uh, thanks for your contributions to the Kings. Uh, I think it works really well. Um, I think the whole series is fantastic. And uh, uh, hopefully you're really happy to be associated with it. Oh, I, was, I was honored. I forgot did the interview so long ago. But, but I think <laughs> it's something that all people need. Fight fans and non-fight fans should check it out because – the, the boxing brings you back to a great era, but it also shows you the era of what they're going through and, and mm. what the country was like and what was going on in the world. And mm. like, if you were born after these guys were fighting, this is a good educational tool. Yeah. Yeah. Tony, thank you so very much for joining us. Really pleasure to be it. on. Thanks guys. That will do it for this special edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, we will be back on Monday with our scheduled podcast, uh, looking back at the Floyd Mayweather-Logan Paul card. And we will return next Sunday night with a recap of episode two of The Kings, where we will be joined by Jackie Callan, someone else who features prominently throughout the show. And remember, The Kings airs each Sunday evening on Showtime and is, of course, available for subscribers online and on demand. Until next time, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.